The book of James gives us at least 14 references to prayer. I want to touch on three of those. The first is in chapter one, verse five. You're probably very familiar with this verse. If any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to him. What a gracious promise. We do lack wisdom. It's really not an if for us. And the way to respond to that is to ask the God who has promised to abundantly supply what we lack. And he won't even criticize when we come. But indeed, we'll answer our prayer. If you go to chapter four in the book of James, you have that familiar phrase, chapter four, verse two. You have not because, what's the rest of it? You ask not. It's not a problem of supply or resource. It's a problem of our lack of desire and taking our own responsibility to pray. And then finally, chapter five, verse 16. Dealing with the life of Elijah, James says, the prayer of a righteous person is both powerful and effective. It makes a difference. It advances the kingdom of God. Prayer works. And that is why I have called the church to pray as we approach this very important season, a season of change. Because as A.J. Gordon said, we can do more than pray after we have prayed, but we cannot do more than pray until we've prayed. The first step is to pray. Many of you were not shocked to see the letter that came, maybe not shocked by the subject, perhaps shocked by the timing of it all. Indeed, we have acknowledged this is something like the elephant in the room. But whenever you send out a letter like this, a million questions come up. So I want to answer a few of those. No, there is no problem in the church. Church is not going down. We've not lost all our money. I'm not being forced out. I wasn't asked to leave. I haven't taken a job somewhere else, eager to leave here and to get there. Not true. I'm not mad. I'm not upset. I'm not physically sick. But I am tired. And I think it's time for someone else to be in this position of senior pastor. I thought about an article I read back in Christianity Today, 2007, when Max Lucado, if you heard that name, well-known writer, pastor of Oak Hills Church in San Antonio, Texas, when he stepped down as senior pastor, he said this, your pastor is tired. He had just been diagnosed with uh, atrial um, fibrillation, AFib, And he thinks that that had an effect on him. I was diagnosed with that a couple years ago, and 
I think it's probably had some effect. I'm not blaming that, but I'm sure it's probably that and something to do with age. <laughs> he went on to say, I, I don't have any desire to retire in the sense of not doing anything as long as the Lord gives me strength. Max said, I want to keep writing and I want to keep preaching. And I have that same desire as well as long as he gives me strength I want to keep preaching, and it would be nice if I could keep writing, but I don't know how to do that very well. This is not a resignation letter. As it's stated, this is a a letter of intention to transition, and the letter even indicates that it'll take much of this year and perhaps even into next year. We don't know how the sovereign God is going to lead us. So that makes it a little easier that today is not a day of goodbye and in a couple weeks I'll be gone. In July, I formed what I call a kitchen cabinet, six men to give me counsel. We started meeting in July and we've met once a month until January. These six men... One was the chairman, one is the chairman of the deacon board, one is the chairman of the trustee board. Two of them are previous chairs of one or both of those boards, and the other two, a serving deacon and a past deacon. We talked a lot, we discussed, I shared my heart, we prayed. We read a book about transition, even interviewed an expert in church transition, all with the idea of get, to get some clarity on this important issue. And I shared the letter you received with them just the week before. There are a lot of questions to be answered, but not many answers. I hope that somehow I can help the church through a healthy transition, whatever that means. The official board is going to meet February 18th and will begin to discuss this whole issue. And I really don't anticipate to have anything to say definitively before summer. But remember, God planned, man plans his way, but God directs his steps. But our first step clearly is to pray. And that's why I want to draw your attention to the book of Proverbs chapter 3, a very familiar and well-known portion of scripture. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths, or as some translations have it, he shall make your paths straight. There are four verbs in those two verses, and we're going to spend a moment looking at them. Actually, the first two verbs deal with this idea of wholehearted trust. Trust in the Lord, the first verb, a very positive statement. The word Lord is capitalized because it is the name of Yahweh. It is creator God. It is the God of the covenant who promises 
and always fulfills his promise. But what a dramatically descriptive term to trust. Originally, that idea had uh, the, the concept of throwing yourself upon something or someone for support in your time of need, counting that they would hold you up. To trust in the Lord is to put your life into his hands. I love the story of the, the woman who was going into surgery. She was going to have a a heart transplant, and the doctor had explained what he planned to do, how they would take the one out, how they would have the second one there, and how they would put it in and do all the massaging. The doctor was talking with her just before she went in, just to make sure that she was at rest, as well as you could be before a surgery like that, and she grabbed hold of his hand, and she said, doctor, your heart is in my hand, my heart is in your hands. He began to weep a little bit. She began to smile and said, now I'm ready. That's really what this is all about, this trust thing. Our heart is in his hands. Our church is in his hands. We must fall helplessly upon him and trust him. Trust is a combination of belief, I believe, and I rely. And how do we trust? With all our heart. The opposite of that is half-heartedly. We're pretty good at Christianity half-heartedly. But God wants our whole heart, which means mind, emotions, and will. Cast upon him because we're helpless and totally confident that he can take our lives and make something of them. I love the Amplified Bible's translation of this portion of scripture. The first part says, trust in and rely confidently on the Lord with everything you have. But there's another opposite. Uh, There's a other side of the coin to trust. The opposite is don't lean on your own understanding. That's the second verb, lean. So don't lean means not to put your trust on yourself. The word lean simply means to rest on something, again, that will hold you up. It's often that the Hebrew poets would work very hard to create parallelism, and that's what you have, a positive and a negative. Trust in the Lord, don't trust in yourself. Lean on the Lord, do not lean on yourself. The Amplified Bible, do not rely on your own insight or your understanding. Why? Because our understanding is amazingly deficient. We are extremely limited in what we know and skewed in what we think is right. And so, the person of today scoffs at God and believes that he is God and knows better. That haunting scene from Pilgrim when Christian realizes he does want to be king. He's in the dungeon, I I do want to be king. And he says, and I think I could do it better. Remember that? Boy, that sounded a lot like me. 
Lean not on your own understanding, deficient, skewed, limited. Charles Bridges said, man's understanding is his God. And the dominant sin of every unhumbled heart is simply this. I know better than God. Back in 1972, Bill Withers released a song called Lean On Me. Remember that one? When you're not strong, I'll give you strength to carry on. Really a pretty good song, but it's leaning on someone else. And we need that too. Because before long, I'll need someone to lean on. That's good. But that's not what this verse is talking about. It's talking about lean on God because he is strong. And by the way, he'll never have to lean on you. So we go from this teaching, trust in me, don't trust in yourself, to what I call the continuous practicum. That is, this is what you need to put into practice. In all your ways, acknowledge him. In all your ways, acknowledge him. The word acknowledge simply means to know. And so you've got this idea of recognition. Know the one you're trusting in. It is the sovereign God. We know who he is and we are aware of his existence and we are aware of his presence and we are aware of his word that recognition is there acknowledge him don't go on your way without him and never to call upon him amplified bible in all your ways know and acknowledge and recognize him trust on display, that's what this is. When you acknowledge God in all of your ways, you're trusting him. How many decisions do we make every day without acknowledging God? And I'm not talking about the little ones, like do I put on gray socks or black? I would encourage you not to pray about that. But the big decisions, we don't acknowledge God. We are to consider him Consider him in all of our ways. But there's another side to this continuous practicum, and that is the idea of submission. The NIV translated in 2011 actually says, in all your ways, submit to him. Now that's not exactly what the Hebrew word says, but that's what it means. To know him is to trust him. To know him is to love him. Oh, I'm convinced people don't love God because they don't know him. And the God they know is not the God of the Bible. And notice the word ways. We think of the idea of path, and that is true. But the Hebrew word often refers to a person's course of life, their characteristic manner as they live. For instance, in Proverbs 30, the same Hebrew word is used when it talks about the way of an eagle in the sky or the way of a serpent on a rock or the way of a ship on the sea or the way of a man with a maid. And the writer says, these are all mysterious and hard to understand, but it's the manner and way. 
So in all your past specifically, but in all the general ways of life, acknowledge him in every way, both small and great. Seek his will in all that you do and do it. This is a call to prayer. An ancient rabbi once said, all the essence of the Torah depends on this one verse. In all your ways, acknowledge him. By the way, the word for teaching in verse five is the word Torah. Don't lean on your, all, your own understanding in all your ways. Excuse me, that was earlier in the text. The Torah means the teaching of God, the law of God, and we are simply to embrace it and do it, acknowledging him in all our ways. Now, the final verb is literally, not acknowledge was the third, the fourth, make straight. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. So the first three, our responsibility to trust him, not lean on our understanding. In every situation, acknowledge him, knowing who he is and submitting to what he wants. And now comes the glorious promise. He shall, well, let's use the word direct first because it has the idea of leading Remember, we're talking about the covenant name of God. And when God makes a covenant, that's an eternal promise. Yahweh has promised to lead us and be with us and not forsake us, no matter what the situation is. The whole idea of leading, he leadeth me. Remember that hymn? Oh, blessed thought. Oh, words with heavenly comfort fraught. Whate'er I do, where'er I be, still tis God's hand that leadeth me. If you're a believer, that is your privilege. That is his promise. He will direct our paths. Think of Psalm 23. He leads me in the paths of, first of all, he leads me beside the quiet waters. And then he leads me in the paths of righteousness. We are so prone to wander and we would easily get off the path. But God leads us in restful places and he leads us in righteous places. But it's not only leading us in the way, it's straightening our way. And that's where this Hebrew word is quite amazing. Make straight your paths. One translation has it, he will clear the road for you to follow. The ancient way of building a highway was to clear all obstacles and then level the hills and then fill in the gaps and then cut a straight path as straight as you could. We do that in our own country. We go through mountains, sometimes around them, but the path is level in most places. Gaps are filled. That's exactly what we're talking about here. The Lord goes before us to prepare the way. Remember that, Isaiah 40, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, John the Baptist, 
Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths in the desert for him. A highway of God. And Isaiah 45 talks about Cyrus, a pagan king. But God raised him up to deliver his own people from bondage. I will raise up Cyrus in my righteousness. I will make all his ways straight. And he will rebuild my city. So think of God going ahead of us, knocking down the obstacles, leveling the road and filling in the gaps and paving it nice and straight. The NIV study Bible says he will remove the obstacles from your pathway and bring you to your appointed goal. So that idea is in there. Not only will he direct us on the straight path, but take us where that path should lead us. And that is the accomplishment of his blessed will. Seek his way. And he will show you your way. Don Moen wrote a song, a praise chorus a few years ago that sticks in my mind. God will make a way when there seems to be no way. He works in ways we cannot see. He will make a way for me. He will be my guide. Hold me closely to his side. With love and strength for each new day, he will make a way. He will make a way. Verse seven, by the way, is a summary of all that he said. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Remember that's Solomon talking. These are fatherly talks from Solomon, probably to his son Rehoboam. And he says, don't be wise in your own eyes. What a thing to say for the wisest man who ever lived. We're told in 1 Kings 4, God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. And that wise man said, don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. What is that? Trust him with all your heart. Acknowledge him in all your ways. That's what the fear of the Lord is. You respect God. You bow before him. You reverence him. And you prove it by how you live. Fear includes trusting. And fear includes submitting Eugene Peterson's The Message in verse 7 says, Don't assume you know it all. Run to God and run away from evil. And what is true for the singular soul is true for the corporate body of Christ. Remember this, Proverbs 16. Man plans his way, but God directs his steps. As I said, we don't have any plans, final plans, right now. All of those ideas and plans are submitted before the throne because prayer number, prayer is our first step. Prayer is number one. And as we bathe this decision and situation in prayer, we can entrust him, acknowledge him, Submit to him. We can be confident that he will make the way straight ahead of us. Not always easy. It's not easy to build a road. But when it's done, it's straight. Let me encourage you not to spend time guessing what's happening. 
please don't begin to politic and push your agenda. Oh, I know today in this moment in worship you say, oh, I would never. But you might. Don't do it. Pray. Every time that comes to your heart, pray. Pray for us. Pray for the church. Pray for the glory of his kingdom. Many opinions will surface, but we're not looking for opinions. We're looking for divine guidance. And we've been promised it. And we want nothing less. Just remember this. The day is not done. The night has not come. And we together have much to do. It may even be well into the next year. Who knows? But we must trust him with all of our heart. Thank you.